All right, thank you guys for being here this afternoon. Um, my name is Annika Anand. I'm a co-founder of The Evergrey, um, which is a daily email newsletter all about Seattle. We are excited to bring together this panel today. So we have a labor law expert, a state representative, um, lots of people to, to talk about the efforts to allow ride-hailing drivers to make moves in creating security and equity within their industry. Just going to briefly introduce them now. So um, we have Representative Monica Stonier, um, who serves the 49th Legislative District in Vancouver, Washington. She's worked to improve labor rights for gig workers by introducing legislation requiring gig companies to contribute to a portable benefits fund that would provide contributions to health insurance, paid time off, and more. We also have Charlotte Garden, who is an expert in labor law and the regulation of work and workers. She's an associate professor and co-associate dean for research and faculty development at the Seattle University School of Law. We also have Deborah Jeffsgrad, who is a retired RN and clinical social worker. She began driving for Uber part-time two and a half years ago for her travel fund and appreciates the flexibility that being an independent contractor with Uber allows. And then finally, we have Tequila Gobina, who is a union representative for the members of Teamsters Local 117. He advocated for working families in his native Ethiopia, worked on the campaign to raise the minimum wage in the city of SeaTac, and has fought to improve conditions for drivers in Seattle's for hire industry. And then finally here, we have our moderator, Heidi Gruber, who's a reporter at The Stranger. She's also uh, covered local politics, transportation, and labor and previously worked at the Inlander in Spokane and the Willamette Meek Week in Portland. Um, so one quick last note, um, we'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsors, without whom none of this would be possible. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Killinger Foundation, and our business track sponsor, BECU. So without further ado, go ahead, Heidi. Thank you. Um, so I just want to start out, I think if you're here, you probably know that um, more and more people are working as independent contractors, um, including for gig economy companies like Uber and Lyft or delivering groceries for Instacart. Um, and so a few numbers just to kind of set the stage for um, the stakes of this discussion. Um, a recent NPR poll found that one in five jobs in America are now held by a worker who's under contract. 40% um, of the American workforce is temporary, part-time, or an independent contractor. Um, and this is a, you know, an issue that companies are paying attention to not, um, not in no small part because of their bottom line. Um, the Center for American Progress found that um, hiring independent contractors instead of traditional employees saves companies around 30% in labor costs. So it's very likely we're going to see more and more workers um, working on contracts rather than traditional full-time jobs with the types of benefits that we um, associate with full-time work. So here in Washington, we've seen a couple of landmark efforts to address the um, lack of traditional benefits that workers have, including protection uh, for pay under the minimum wage law or the right to unionize, that kind of thing. One is here in Seattle, um, the city council has passed an ordinance allowing drivers for Uber and Lyft to unionize if they choose to. Um, in the state legislature, we have seen an effort um, to create a portable benefits system, which we're going to talk about a little more later. Um, so it's okay if you don't know what that means. I didn't either. <laughs> um, so I want to start with Tekele. Um, 
you used to drive for Uber and now you work for the Teamsters, which is the union that hopes to organize Uber drivers. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what your experience driving for Uber was like um, and what types of stories you hear from drivers now that you're organizing? Um, thank you. I started driving for Uber around end of 2012, uh, from end of 2012 until uh, um, January 2017, where I um, eventually ended up moving, uh, changing my career uh, in the same industry, but moving to start from dr being driver. Um, there has been a huge difference from when Uber started in Seattle to right now. I still get involved with the driver, organizing drivers, and, and, and also um, uh, helping them to you know, solve some issues related to um, what they do. Um, the huge difference are in um, three main areas. Number one, uh, there has been so um, huge cut in fare. When Uber started Seattle, um, fare per mile was $2.35. Right now, it's one dollar zero one two cents. Number two, uh, the huge difference right now, back then, 2012, 2013, when you get deactivated, deactivation means being fired. You get fired. Um, it, what, what we call firing in Uber is deactivation. So back in 2013, 2012, uh, there has been a very few deactivation. Right now, you can buy a brand new car and start driving for them. Tomorrow, you find out you are deactivated. So there are huge deactivation rate right now. Uh, number three, there has been a huge lack of transparency back then. Uh, when a rider took a ride from downtown to airport, both rider and driver see the, 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 the fare, how much uh, driver, how much rider pay. Right now, you don't see that. We don't see that. Rider pay and leave, and at, after a day or two days, you receive some amount of money, you're up. So there's no transfer. So they, there has been huge difference in these three areas right now. And Deborah, you are driving for Uber now. Um, tell us what has your experience been like? First, I'd like to ask, how many of you are part of the gig economy right now? Oh, quite a few of you. Okay. My experience with Uber has not been the same. I know, um, respectfully, Kelly hasn't worked for Uber for a long time. And many, many changes have already taken place. For instance, there's a peer advisory program. Um, so that new drivers have somebody that they can um, talk to and ask other questions. Also, um, in terms of transparency about fares, immediately now I know how much I made, and if I scroll down, I know exactly how much Uber took out, I know what the city tax was, and I know how much the rider paid. So that's a new thing that's happened uh, that's pretty impressive that Uber has done since Takeli has worked um, there before. Uh, tell us what you think about the idea of drivers unionizing and the city ordinance that was passed. That's a hard one, except the labor laws are so old and haven't been changed at all, so that the labor laws say that there are only two categories, an employer and an independent contractor. So if you're part of the gig economy and you, and you drive for Uber, you're somewhat an independent contractor and you're somewhat an employee. The traditional unions have wanted us to all be employees so that we could have a traditional union sort of structure. 
that isn't going to work at all for being an Uber driver or other gig economies because um, we like our flexibility and we like sort of coming and going and being our own boss and decided, you know, things like that. So I'm very much in favor of having the new sort of structuring of the unions, like working Washington, and having a middle category, a brand new middle category that might be called independent worker or statutory employee. And that recognizes sort of the facts on the ground right now that the, um, the way that the, the economic picture has looked, the worker picture, is so much different now than it was you know, 50 years ago when these categories were organized. So if we had a middle category, which I'm in favor of, so I'm not in favor of being an employee and having a union, and I'm not entirely in favor of being an independent contractor either because then I'm not covered by the anti-discrimination laws and I'm not able to have any benefits, if we have this middle category, I'm immediately covered by the anti-discrimination laws, and I can get benefits like retirement and health and all the other things that provide the safety net for our society. So Kelly, tell us why you think a traditional union is the right approach here. Um, I, I think uh, it's still, you, you, do a, you do a work and, and you, you deserve a pay for what you do. And now what's happening in gig economy, including Uber and Lyft, is you work 18 hours a day, 16 hours a day. You end up taking home what actually can't uh, pay off your, your, your car insurance and, and, and uh, uh, gases and, and your lunch and your breaks. Um, for example, let me take you. So an Uber driver is a driver who be downtown, 3.30 a.m. morning around hotel waiting for people who go to airport. So you take a ride from downtown air to Sitak Airport. And when you get there, you, you get paid 15.29 is your average pay, okay? And from downtown to airport, it is 12 miles distance, okay? So the cost for driving a car to 12 miles distance is uh, 57 cents. I, I already allows you to uh, deduct a cost 57 cents. So if you take out 57 cents uh, and you end up getting about um, seven six dollars, gas is in. So you pay off gas out of that out of that seven dollar. Okay, you pay insurance out of that. You don't have any insurance. You have to pay your rent. Okay, you have to feed your kids. This is what we're talking about. So. Um, because they consider you as independent contractor, you are not covered by any labor laws. So if you telling them, hey, this is what I'm earning, I'm not living on this, they will tell you if you, if you like work, if you don't like, just go away. So now the debate is when the traditional union is not opposed to uh, gig economy, but what we're trying to achieve here is let us make gig economy work for workers as well and also for the business. The way we do that, we have so many alternatives. Pay living wage, provide um, benefit that gas, uh, an employee who works gas station down across the street gets. So this is a basic conversation. Let's improve gig economy. So that's, that's what creation, I mean, the discussion should be about. 
So there are clearly some different opinions about whether the union would um, be the right way to address these issues. There's also the legal question of whether Seattle even can grant this right to unionize to Uber and Lyft drivers. Um, on Monday, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals is going to hear the latest in the case of the city of Seattle versus the uh, Chamber of Commerce, the US Chamber of Commerce. Um, Charlotte, can you walk us through kind of the broad strokes of those arguments and what's at stake here? Absolutely. Yeah, so first I want to back up just a little bit and talk a little bit about the question of who's an who's an employee and who's an independent contractor, which is really at the heart of what is going on here. Right? So just like Deborah said and Heidi said, um, most of the workplace rights that you think of when you think of sort of what comes with having a job are, are contingent on having the status of employee. So the minimum wage, um, the right to join a union under the Federal National Labor Relations Act, um, family and medical leave, right? I can go on. All of those rights are contingent on being an employee. And if you're an independent contractor, um, then that means that a lot of those costs fall on you, right? You pay your own health insurance, you deal with your own retirement. If you want to take vacation, well, you can, but you're not getting paid, right? So that's, so that's, that's what it means to be an independent contractor. And sometimes that makes perfect sense, right? You think of a company that goes out and hires an advertising firm, of course they're an independent contractor and it doesn't make sense to treat them as employees. But companies like Uber, and certainly not only Uber, right? We can think of traditional economy companies like Federal Express, for example, um, have as part of their business plan defining workers sort of close to the line, right? That's why Deborah said, I think really aptly, um, that being an Uber driver can feel like being not exactly an employee and not exactly an independent contractor. But as the law exists now, you're really one or the other. It's hard for courts to work out, or courts or agencies to work out, um, questions that are close to the line like this. And as you all may know, there have been cases that have been pending in the federal courts for years trying to figure out who is an employee and who is an independent contractor um, among Lyft and Uber employees. So what Seattle did was say, okay, we're gonna cut through this, right? Cut, find a way to cut through this question about who's an independent contractor and who's an employee in the world of four hired drivers. And we're gonna do that by saying, if you're a company that uses, right, I'm not gonna say employs, right, that uses independent contractors to drive people around for money, um, then, and you characterize them as independent contractors, that's fine, we're not gonna look behind that. We're going to say that those independent contractors have a right to unionize under a new law that Seattle passed. So not the National Labor Relations Act, this new law that's been in effect for a couple of years, or that's been on the books for a couple of years now. Okay, so the Chamber of Commerce, which is an organization that represents you know, Lyft and Uber and lots of other um, for hire ride companies, uh, came in and filed suit in federal court. And they've got two main arguments. Um, and they both have to do with the fact that federal law is entitled under our federal constitution to displace state law. First, there's an antitrust argument. So the chamber says, look, under the Sherman Antitrust Act, right, been around for decades, I'm sure you all know it, um, independent businesses can't collude with each other to set prices. And that's what's going on here, or that's what would go on if drivers unionized. Independent contractors are independent businesses. Um, they can't collude with each other to set prices, right, by coming together to form a union, sitting across from Uber or Lyft and saying, you know, we'll only work for you if you pay us X amount of money, right? That's kind of the thrust of the chamber's antitrust claim. The city has a defense, right? The city's defense is that there's an exception that applies when governments intentionally displace competition. 
And they say, that's what's happened here, right? The state of Washington gives cities the authority to um, regulate rideshare businesses or to regulate for higher driving um, in the interest of consumer safety, and that's what we've done, right? Seattle says, look, unionizing makes sense in the interest of safety because of exactly the things that Kelly was flagging, right? People might work very long hours. They might not have the money to keep their cars um, sort of fully up to, you know, fully shipshape. Um, and allowing collective bargaining so that drivers can collectively present the concerns that they have, right, which might include things like pay, which might include things like training, which might include things like minimum vehicle standards or maintenance. Um, all of the, being able to present those concerns at the bargaining table and to force Uber to respond, right, makes sense from a consumer point of view as well, right, because it promotes health and safety. Okay, so that's the city's response. The other main argument has to do with um, preemption under the National Labor Relations Act, right? This federal statute that says that employees have a right to form a union, and it says employees don't, or sorry, it says independent contractors don't have a right to form a union under federal labor law. And it's that last clause, don't have a right to form a union under federal labor law, that is really what this is about. So the chamber says, what Congress was trying to do there was really say, Uber was really to say independent contractors shouldn't be able to form a union under any law, federal or state, right? Federal, state, or local. And the city is saying, well, no, that's not true. They were just saying independent contractors aren't covered under the National Labor Relations Act. But that doesn't mean they can't be covered under state or local law. Um, I think the uh, city has the right end of this argument. I filed an amicus brief making that saying as much, um, but the case will go to the Ninth Circuit here in Seattle. You can all go watch, or you can also watch it. There's a live stream, so you can watch it on your computers um, on Monday morning. <laughs> Thrilling. Um, so what, uh, what do you think will be the impact if, if the law survives? Um, are we going to see you know, Uber unions in every city in the country? Uh, no, and one reason for that is Uber has been... Um, successfully lobbying state legislatures in, I think, 41 states to preempt uh, municipalities from doing exactly what Seattle has done here. Um, and so the model could certainly spread, and it could spread in uh, with respect to independent contractors who work in other industries, but there's not going to be sort of unfettered expansion of union rights for Uber drivers across the country. Okay. Um, so, Monica, I want to um, hear from you about... Um, Portable benefits. Can you tell us uh, what exactly those are um, and what you're trying to do here with your bill that would create the system? Yeah, thank you. Um, the as the bill stands now, it's uh, House Bill 2812. Um, it would create a portable benefits program that uh, defines a, a benefit provider, and that would be. Uh, whatever entity takes contributions in from workers, um, either at an hourly rate or per unit or per, per transaction rate. And that would go into a pool that would then um, be the uh, provided to beneficiaries later uh, in the form of those benefits. And the idea is that the workers would be um, a significant portion, at least 50% of the board, that would determine what benefits could be available to them. So uh, whether that was paid leave or, um, you know, health care coverage or 
workers' compensation and LNI coverage is built into the policy already. That's a def a, a, an expectation that that would be um, covered, but largely a worker-driven uh, concept of you know what benefits do they need, and I think the thinking behind that is. Um, you know, we're hearing a lot of this conversation right now around kind of ride-sharing and app-based um, work environments, but the fact is our workers uh, that are independent contractors look very different across the rest of the labor industries. So, you know, whether you're talking about um, an example might be a painting company hires, you know, a bunch of painters to come in to help fulfill the work for a project, and those those workers would come in as independent contract painters, and and can they then contribute if the if they're working on a an account that follows the worker rather than the employer, uh, and that is registered with a provider, then uh, wherever they're working throughout the year, whether it's in you know driving uh, for Uber during a certain time of the day and working um, as a painter another time, um, those benefits would then be collected under any of those uh, work environments. So the, the idea is, is more that uh, regardless of where you're working and how, you can pay into a benefits program so you can then be a beneficiary on the other side. Uh, there's, you know, further, some of the concepts are further defined in the bill, however, I would say that, um, you know, this is, this would be the, we would be the first state in the nation to have this kind of program, and uh, it's really important to me personally that uh, we further define classifications for our workers to make sure that we are not imposing uh, this concept on workers that already have access to a benefit program, but what we do know of our workforce who are largely, many gig economy workers, but um, the rest of our workers as well. If you're, if you're working in an environment where you can't hit that 40, 40 hour a week mark and you're forced to be a part-time worker and you would be, you know, really hoping to get to a point where you have um, some of those other worker benefits, uh, we want to make sure that we're providing those for um, our workers when the environment is not a traditional uh, work environment. So um, the flip side of that is we also don't want to be pushing uh, workers who are working part-time and employers who ought to be providing those and they are able to and, and, and remove that expectation that, you know, it's not, it's not, if you can do the right thing, you can also just do the right thing by your workers. Um, but I think there's a threading of the needle there to really determine um, where we are in this place between traditional work environments and work days and the fact that we are moving into a global economy and a gig economy that we are trying to anticipate um, and be able to still provide for our workforce the way we ought to um, and the way that the labor movement has for, you know, for its in, since its inception. So just to touch on something you just said, so some people in the labor movement support this idea of portable benefits. Other people say it's sort of seeding all of the ground. It's it's accepting that workers now have no real employee, employee status, um, giving up on the idea of unions. Wh what do you make of that argument? Well, you know, this has been a really um, interesting dive into a project that I, you know, uh, when I when I took this up, it was an experience for me to just really learn not only what all of the labor versus business perspectives are, but really within the labor community. Um, I'm 
very supportive of our labor of our labor movement. Uh, I'm considered a champion of our labor organizations. I'm a union member for my own union. I'm a teacher when I'm not working in the legislature. So um, I've been very involved in my union and 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 very much support bargaining. Um, but I also recognize that when I'm preparing students in the classroom for an economy that we can't quite vision right now, we also have to be preparing our workforce for that same economy. And we have to be thinking about whether or not people have access to health care, which is a major problem right now in the richest country in the nation that we don't have um, our most vulnerable covered by health care. I mean, the, these goals, these challenges that we're facing right now are only going to get bigger if we don't um, start thinking a little bit further out about what that's going to look like. Um, but I, the, the challenge, you're right, is that the, the labor community is pretty fractured on this. And I think that's why we just need to have more information on who our workers are, how many of them don't have access to a benefits program, and how many of them should but don't because of decisions that are, or you know, maybe misclassification situations where workers who actually are, are employees are not um, categorized as such. And that is a, a problem in our migrant communities. Um, it's a problem in um, you know, many of our work environments. And, and I, don't, I don't intend to undermine any of that work. I think it, that, that policy work needs to continue. Um, but, we, but we also have to be thinking a little bit broader too. So Charlotte, you've uh, sort of followed Uber's response to a lot of these different things. Um, and while they have fought against the, the union effort and recognizing drivers as employees, they've actually signed on in a sort of theoretical support of this idea of portable benefits. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, my, my guess is that Uber is, Uber knows that it needs drivers, right? Uber is in expansion mode, right? Lyft is in expansion mode. Um, they need to hire drivers, and that means they know that they're going to have to establish reasonable working conditions to attract people. Um, and so my guess is they see this as um, sort of a, uh, a, a way to do that, right? A way to improve working conditions a bit. Um, and probably one that doesn't, um, especially sort of depending on how these statutes are drafted, won't end up doing much to shift the arguments on whether drivers are employees or independent contractors, because of course Uber is very concerned about anything that would sort of add to um, the ability of, of drivers to make arguments that they're employees. That's sort of my guess. Deborah, what do you think about this idea of portable benefits? Well, I'd like to say first that the polarization, I'm always against the polarization, I'm not anti-union at all. I've been a, a traditional union member two times in my career. I think there's a place for traditional unions for traditional employees. I think traditional employees probably need a good advocate for all the things that Kelly talked about. But the gig economy workers, we often work for many, many little, many, many different companies all at the same time. And I like that flexibility. Um, I like the idea of the portable benefits because if I put a little bit in and Uber puts a little bit in and Lyft puts a little bit in and Amazon Flex puts a little bit in, pretty soon we have a pot of money that then I can decide what I want to do with that pot of money in terms of health care or retirement. You know, um, most people aren't putting away and they don't have health care and they're not putting anything away. And the Uber drivers and the other gig economy folks are all going to get old someday. And it'd be nice if they had some retirement, you know, also. 
there isn't anything in the idea of portable benefits that says that you can't organize. You know, you can't, you, I don't think you'd want to organize in the old traditional sense, but thinking about the way the economy is now and the structure of the workforce now, um, perhaps a new kind of union or a new restructuring of a union or a new restructuring of sort of the non-traditionals towards the future would be more helpful. So Kelly, what do you think about portable benefits? Have you talked about this with the drivers uh, that you're organizing? Um, I actually heard this idea a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I, I disagree with the concept. It is uh, something uh, that nothing. Uh, but I would say uh, the question of drivers, I myself as a word driver for five years and still organizing drivers. The question has been always, um, can I get living wage? Can I have a voice on platform? Can we see a transparency in the, on platform? That, that is the question. That's the question. It is not about if you don't have, if you, if you work hard 18 hours a day behind the wheel and you still come home and what you work 80 hours won't be able, to, you won't be able to pay rent and bring your food and, and milk and the bread on table, why would, I, why would I worry about health care? That's something comes tomorrow, right? Why would I care about retirement if I can't afford paying rent working that long hours and not be able to pay rent? That's always a question. So Uber, they know, before we start organizing with the union, we came to Uber and asked them to fix these issues. Not one time, not two times. They refused to listen. And then we tried to organize ourselves and get into union. So Uber trying to distract this drivers organizing and the, the concept of having traditional union and, and through that, they scare of driver having a voice. So they're trying to go around and trying to find another way to some sort of, um, I call it maybe misleading or some sort of public image. Hey, we're doing this thing. We're helping drivers. We're doing this thing, that, that thing. To me, what helps drivers, what helps consumers, this is a really good product. People are really comfortable. You wake up in the morning, press a tab, and walk to airport, go to your work. It's really good. It helps communities. It's very convenient. So let's improve this platform, pay living wage, give drivers a voice, ensure transparency, and ensure the riders feel safety when they use this platform. So that's always had the question, and that Uber refused to respond to that question. And, 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 and that's my concern. You mentioned the living wage. I, um, I've heard from you and some other folks with the union that peop some people are making two, three, four dollars an hour, and some other drivers say they easily make more than fifteen or they make twenty dollars an hour. What's going on? So, uh, Uber has about six different products: uh, Uber Pool, Uber X, Black Car, SUVs, um, and most of Uber. So more close to 10,000 drivers in these cities, including King Counties. And uh, there are two types of drivers, part-timers, people who just do as fun, uh, including my here, uh, uh, Deborah, uh, and people who actually work this as more than full-time, who their livelihood depends on this business. People who invest in this business, buy a brand new car. So let me ask you, Craig, how many of you ride with Uber or Lyft? Good. Did you, 
you see this beautiful cars, clean and, and nice car? Most of people who, in, who actually do this business are immigrant. They don't normally have this car for personal. So they are, in, they are either in debt or they bought this car by using investment they invested or saved for 10 years, 15 years, okay? So about 85% of rides provided in this King County or city of Seattle are provided by 20% of full-time drivers, okay? And I can show you on my phone right now app. My friend took a ride from downtown this morning to airport, $15.25, okay? It's, it's the total, it's a grand total. So those drivers are not making living wage. If you, when you calculate, reduce all your cost, insurance, a, a gas, all this deduction, you end up getting about two, four, two to four dollars. That's that's real. If you ride with Uber, ask a driver; they will happy to show you their app, the weekly earning, the monthly earning. Just check out, check it out, find it out yourself. Easy. Deborah, do you want to respond? I do. <laughs> I don't do it for fun, although it is fun. Um, I certainly make a whole lot more than that, even, even. I think you have to use some brains about it, too. If you take Takele's idea about the union and having the whole, um, the union needs to negotiate for the wage and the minimum wage, everything. Traditionally, in the old way of thinking, the benefits and the wage was tied to the number of hours that you work. You, if you work more than 24 hours, you get benefits, blah, 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 blah. You earn this much. The Seattle has passed the minimum wage at $15. The union would advocate that way, and I'm not against that at all. But for somebody who works on a platform, the idea of having a minimum wage guaranteed to me um, that's negotiated by a union doesn't make any sense because I'm at my house, and I'm washing my dishes, and I could go out and drive, so I turn the Uber app on. I'm washing my dishes, and 15 minutes goes by, and I'm still washing my dishes. I have a lot of dishes. And all of a sudden, I get a request for a ride. So I go out, and I take that passenger to where they want to go. I don't think Uber should have to pay me at all for the 15 minutes that I was washing my dishes because I'm doing personal things. So in a change of thinking, it should be tied more to your overall earnings and have a percentage of your earnings, a percentage of your earnings paid into the portable benefits by Uber and a percentage of my earnings paid by me into the portable benefits thing. Because the traditional way of thinking about hourly workers and hourly wages just doesn't fit with the um, facts on the ground. Charlotte, you wanted to get in there? <laughs> yeah, just quickly. Um, I, you know, I think, to me, one of the interesting things about Seattle's um, collective bargaining ordinance is it actually allows for a lot of flexibility. So I think Deborah has a bunch of interesting ideas, right? Drivers should have non-discrimination. Drivers should be you know, paid for certain hours that they work, but not necessarily hours that they're waiting for a ride. Um, that, is, uh, that is mostly how the Fair Labor Standards Act works, by the way. Um, but you should, you, know, you, you mentioned a couple other things, like retirement benefits, and I think those all sound like great improvements. And I think the nice thing about, about collective bargaining is, you know, once is if the union is elected, right, then the union would hear from drive, right, hear from members, right, the members for whom it's the bargaining agent, and say, what do you care about? 
right? And drivers might collectively say, I bet they would say all of the things that Deborah just said, right? And then that's, those are the things that the union would press for at the bargaining table. Um, so I think there can be this sort of tendency to think about, you know, you think about who's a union, like what is a union, what does a union do? There can be this tendency to think about like the contracts that the United Auto Workers bargained in the 1970s, right? When um, things like seniority and working very specific hours and knowing exactly when they would be and how much you would be paid and what your job would be were really important to those workers. And, and so that's what the UAW sort of fought for. But Deborah's right, right? These workers have different priorities, right? Their jobs are different. And so I think that suggests that, you know, today, a union representing Uber drivers would press for different things. Um, and so in a sense, right, what, what's going on is a new, is a new union. Right, a new way of, of representing drivers. Sure, quick. Right, quick. So, the city law that passed in 2015 that allows drivers to, or drivers to organize, actually, if you provide at least one ride, well, it says if you provide 52 rides in three months, then you will be able to qualify to be a union membership. That means less than um, one ride per day. Um, that includes all drivers who, I, I, I myself lack flexibility. Um, so that allows all uh, part-time and full-time full drivers to be able to form a union and, 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 and uh, 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 join a, a union as well. So the question, again, I want to stress this out. It is not about limiting a flexibility. It's all about having a voice, living wage, and transparency. So this is the three things that we're trying to achieve forming union and having that, uh, again, union is workers, right? just drivers going to come together and sit down and, and have conversation across the table with the with employer, with, with the company, as to um, what needs to be improved and, and what works for drivers, what works for, for, for Uber or Lyft or other um, companies as well. It's not always other way. Now, what happening is uh, now, so two weeks ago, Uber actually deactivated about 100 about 100 plus SUV drivers from airport. So what they did is they told them, when, we, they, when they wake up in the morning, they see on app telling them they are restricted from pickup at airport, Sitak Airport. More than 100 drivers. They just saw on their app. So they went to office, they asked it, and the, the response was, we just decided you can't appeal, you have no other option, you won't be able to pick from airport. A SUV. So those drivers bought this SUV. Average cost for SUV fifty-five, sixty thousand dollars. Okay, um, so the only income way is to pick from airport a longer ride. People don't request a SUV in town. They use Uber, uh, Uber X. So they they are now in a very stressful manner. They are they are really going through hard time now. They are not able to pay rent. That's the question. And and again, um, it is not about. Bringing a certain union here is about you know having giving a drivers a voice to um, have that voice on table and, and decide what works for them. Except to Kelly, you know the way the ordinance is set up by the city, you had to be on the platform before October two thousand and sixteen. So now it's two thousand and eighteen, and. How many drivers do you think are still left from October? So a way that the city set it up is you couldn't vote for the union unless you'd been on the platform, right? All the way back to October 2016. So they're not giving drivers 
that are present now a voice. And also, the port seems to change the rules often. And in this week, in fact, they've changed the rules twice about who can pick up at the airport and how you pick up the airport and where you go to pick up the airport and whether you get a ticket or not. Or, you know. And so in some ways, no matter what Uber might like to do or Lyft might like to do, their hands are pretty much tied by the rules that the port puts down. And the port just changed the rules two days ago. You know? And they're going to change them again and they change them again. You know? So I'm not sure that you know, Uber's the bad guy. I think Uber's hands are tied in terms of what they would like to do for their employees in terms of t tax information and education and um, all that sort of things that makes them in the employment category. You know? But if we have the middle category, then Uber can do a whole lot more for the workers. You've been trying to get in here. So, um, you know, I think traditionally, uh, work has been defined by a business in collaboration with the union and workers. You know what time you're coming to work. These middle grounds, you know what you're doing when you're there. There's discussion around workplace protections and safety and workload. Um, and that's you know all part of the traditional model. The traditional goals are always the same, in my view, in, in my um, efforts as a legislator to make sure everybody's earning a living wage. That is the most important thing. We cannot be building an economy where people are not making a living wage. That's not sustainable, it's not smart, um, and it's just not the right thing to do in general. Um, making sure people have access to benefits may or may not happen in a number of business models as they evolve. So if we can take that portion as a responsibility of um, our system and leave Maybe in this middle ground, some other discussions around you know, work, workplace environment to organizing. Um, I think that offers an option. Now, I would say that, you know, in my, so just in my week in Olympia, I meet with, I've met with the Teamsters regularly. I had Uber, uh, meetings with Uber in my office, but it's, um, it's certainly an interest of mine to make sure that as we're talking about these things, we are talking about the workforce at large in Washington State and trying to thread the needle in a way that meets uh, the needs of our communities across the state. And, and by extension, probably, you know, if other states start to pick it up. Because right now, we're gonna, you're, you're hearing the tensions between one industry, one business, in one jurisdiction, um, in, in one work platform. And um, that's, that's going to play out probably. But you know, my hope is to kind of zoom out and say, how are we continuing to provide a living wage? What are some options for earning a benefit if you are working multiple jobs? But also, um, we, have to put, we have to put workers in a position where if they should be getting benefits and if they should be earning a living wage, I'm thinking of our home health care workers, they ought to be earning those wages. And, um, you know, legislator Monica has never gone to teacher Monica and said, you've done a really good job over the last 17 years working with middle school kids. I'd like to offer you a raise. That's not what happens. We depend on our labor unions and those who are advocating for workers to highlight those stories and make the case that wages aren't enough, benefits aren't there. 
Workplace environments are dangerous. I haven't had enough training to drive this train. Those things are really important. And I, you know, I, I would just, while we're listening to one kind of sector here, um, as a legislator, my hope is to continue to work with both the business side, which is the interest is growing incredibly, and the labor side to make sure that we are um, building a workforce that is sustainable and that is fair and that is livable. So I got the one minute signal, but just um, last thing, your bill uh, has not made it through this session. Um, so what, like, can you give us some sense of like, on a scale of one to 10, how likely uh, is this benefit system to happen in the next I'm five years? I'm hoping my other priority bill, Breakfast After the Bell, will pass next week to the governor. But, but yes, this one um, is, um, you know, looking, has very dire uh, <laughs> opportunity this year. But but I think it's actually for the better because we are going to be a leader in this state and in order to do that in a way that benefits the state, both the economy and our workers, um, we have to do it right. And we clearly don't have the information about all of the workers that we need to have in order to get this right, in order to not deepen the misclassification problem in this state. Um, and so I think that, you know, my next round of meetings will be with not only um, drivers, but with workers from other uh, work sectors as well, so that we can make sure we have a broader view of our workforce before we move forward. Okay, thank you all for being here. We're out of time.